0: Coming to you from Classic City,
1: the capital of the Bulldog Nation.
0: It's time for another edition of the podcast designed for the most die hard Georgia fans in the country. Here are your hosts, Tyler and Curtis. What's up, guys? Welcome back to another edition of the Glory UGA podcast. You guys know the drill. I'm Tyler, and back with me today is my co host, Curtis. And here we are at the end of yet another month in this long, dark offseason. All offseasons are dark and long, but this is an especially dark offseason this year for reasons that I do not need to go into. But it's the end of the month, which means it's mailbag time on the Glory UGA podcast. And we got a wide variety of questions this time around. And so with it being summer and recruiting taking the forefront, at least for the time being... We actually did get more recruiting questions than we normally do, enough, in fact, to do an entirely standalone recruiting mailbag show, which will actually be the first of its kind here on the Glory UJ podcast. You know, we've gotten some really positive feedback on the recruiting heavy episodes we've done this offseason. There's been a couple of them, and uh, we've had more than a few requests to talk more recruiting. So, that's what we're going to try to do. Uh, Today's questions are going to be all team-based questions, like more on the field, bigger picture type stuff. And then later this week, we will run a recruiting specific mailbag episode. So if you still have any questions, by all means, feel free to send them in. I do also want to put this out there as I do with just about every mailbag show. A lot of times we get, we get overlapping questions. You know, A couple of people might send in very similar questions. And so in those cases, what we try to do is spread out the love as much as we can. So if you already got a question in, some of you guys sent in more than one question. And if that's the case, uh, and someone had a similar question to you, And they hadn't quite yet gotten a question on the show yet. We kind of just deferred to them in that case. So I just want to put that out there to make sure nobody's feelings get hurt and make sure... Uh no one out there thinks that we're trying to be unfair or we're trying to uh completely ignore you. So just want to put that out there. But before we open up the mailbag, we will do that here very, very shortly. But we do have a few quick shout outs to make today. A big thank you to uh Iowa Dog fan, Dogs 7 and Orange Sucks, love the screen name for not only rating the show on Apple Podcasts. But also taking the time to write reviews as well. I know to a lot of you that might seem like a very small thing, but it's a huge help for our podcast and it really helps us spread the word about the show. And we are greatly appreciative of that. We're trying to get up to 200 ratings on Apple Podcasts. We would appreciate any and all help there. We're inching closer and closer to that number. We're at, I think, 187 right now at last look. So if you enjoy the show and haven't had a chance yet, again, we appreciate any and all help. You guys, the best. And uh, yeah, we appreciate that. But all right, you guys sent in a ton of great questions as, I mean, really, that's become the custom on these mailbag episodes. You guys always bring the heat. So uh, you guys brought a lot of great questions to the table today, and we are going to do our best to answer them. So let's go ahead and give it our best shot. And we're going to start with a question from Brad. We're going to start with this question. I think it's the more it's the most topical question uh, that was sent in for this particular mailbag episode. And so Brad asked, With the news that the SEC is allowing voluntary on-campus workouts starting in June, which I'm sure all of you guys out there are already well aware of. I'm sure you guys all saw that. Uh, Brad goes on to say, I'm getting more confident that the 2020 football season will happen, but I'm still worried about fans not being allowed at games. What have you heard about the possibility of fans being at games in 2020? What percentage chance do you give it? That's a Honestly, it's a tough question to answer, Kurt. How would you try to answer that?
1: I mean, you're not hearing a lot. I mean, realistically, they want fans there. um, But like you're seeing Ohio State, who's saying they'd only sell 30,000 tickets and things like that. And let's be honest, if that's the case, those tickets are not going to go to students. They're going to go to the big boosters and stuff who support the school. Um, And so I think we got to be honest about that. That's a big thing. Um, But just realistically, I mean, it's too hard to tell because you just don't know – what the standards are going to be because that's the the big thing is they're not sure how, you know, what the CDC guidelines are going to be. Um But it's by I mean, state well. I want to say 50-50, but you really just don't know. Well, let me ask. So yeah, I mean, 50-50 is the safe
0: bet. Cause like, honestly, like when you don't know, it's like, we don't know. That's, I mean, Hey, we know, like you said, all teams want to have fans cause that's it's revenue. Money right? They need revenue. Right.
1: But, and I mean, I knew we were going to have football. Let's be honest. Because we it,
0: yes, we knew
1: it. Well, I mean, here's the thing. You're not they're not going to not have football because like they everyone started acting like it was a surprise when they're like college sports would lose four billion dollars if there wasn't uh, football. Like we've all been saying that's why there was going to be football. Like, yeah, you've already seen some colleges that do you watch sports. Do you watch. Yeah, like some colleges are already announcing they're cutting sports or cutting, you know, like men's sports. And things to that and I'm like, well, yeah. what did you think was going to happen? Like, um, so, I mean, that's why I knew there was going to be yeah. sports.
0: Yeah, you and I were on – and not, not that we were the only people, but, I mean, on this show from the very beginning, like, we always felt for that exact reason. We were talking about that two and a half months ago before it became a national conversation. Like, hey, if we don't play football, there's not going to be college sports probably for the next calendar year
1: if, I mean, ever and again. And some, some places will so never right bring in. back certain sports. Like, yeah, you saw exactly. Furman cut baseball and lacrosse. Like, that was just the beginning for a lot of these small schools.
0: Yeah, and, like, I'm not trying to pat ourselves on the back here. I'm just saying, like, you and I, like, we felt like there was any college
1: football really for more than anything a financial reason. Without that you – know, I mean, no they, they could football survive football. without fans just with TV and stuff. But, yeah, I mean, TV they had they um, were going to have a season somehow, though.
0: Yeah, absolutely. And TV, like, this is – here's what I would say about the fan question. I've actually, I actually have a lot to say because it's, it's so complex. I mean, this fan question, like, are there going to be fans or not in the stands, I think it's in some ways more complex – of a question to answer than, or is there going to be football? Like To me, it was, yeah, there was going to be football for the reasons we just laid out. But fans, I, I don't know. Like, it's, it's tough to answer. And I think this is where the narrative is going to shift. The narrative to this point, since the whole lockdown thing started, was is there going to be college football? You and I, we, you know, we felt yes. But I think the narrative is now going to start to shift. I think you're going to see it shift more and more over the coming weeks. The nar- narrative is going to stop being, oh, is there going to be football? It's going to be, oh, are fans going to be allowed at these games? and If so, how many fans – uh, which fans are going to be allowed, how, are you, how do you do this? Is it going to be a conference-by-conference conference thing, a state-by-state state thing? Because I think that's a big complexity in all this, Curtis, is thinking about like Georgia. We know here in the state of Georgia, like I don't, we're not wide open, but we are far more open than the vast majority of states in the United States. And a lot of the SEC states, you can say the same thing. Uh, but there are some SEC states, like Kentucky, for instance, where they are not nearly as far along in the opening process. So let's say a state like Georgia – They, you know, and let's say our governor and our guidelines, the CDC guidelines and our state public health guidelines by that point says, you know what? Yeah, we're comfortable in the state of Georgia with stadiums being full. But let's say in Kentucky, they're saying, no, we we feel like we can only have 25 to 30 percent capacity at most. Does the SEC in that case curse? Does the SEC step in and try to level the playing field and say, okay, well, if Kentucky or whatever state can't have all their fans, then
1: no school can have all their fans. Like, well, how, how do you think that would play out? I don't think it'd play out well because it's going to affect other schools' money, um, and when money comes into it, a lot there, it, it's hard to say. And I think like yeah. they may say it's unfair and things like that, but when it comes down to it, um, money talks, and that's the only reason I don't yeah. know if they would have the power to say we're going to stop you from making money because that's what America's about. To be honest, yes, yeah, absolutely,
0: yeah. At, at our core, I, that is what we're about. I just, I, I, I'm with you. I have a hard time thinking like it's, again because I go to Kentucky. It's, Speaking here in the SEC sense, that's the state that, of all the SEC states, seems like it's it's taking a little bit longer to open than others. Um, and like if they are not ready to go to full capacity in Kentucky based on their state guidelines, but we are in Georgia. Like like you said, who are they to say that our program cannot make the money that's there to be made because they
1: aren't in a yeah, position I mean, to get it there? And it's here's my thing. And if that happens, like I would just, I mean, it was this is selfish too, but you're going to give them a smaller cut of the revenue um when the time yep. comes because they without fans and things like that it affects it but I mean it, it does suck but it's it's the world I mean, we it's live unfair. in there
0: it's unfair but here here's what I would say is it inequitable yes it's inequitable but since when has the goal in college ball been equity it's always been inequitable I mean in that's
1: why you have that's why you have stadiums that are bigger than others yes. um, they can bring in more money they charge more money for tickets like everything's up to the schools themselves Inequity is the rule in college football, and people might not like that. They might want more parity,
0: but that's just not how college football works. This is not the NFL, all right. In college football, some states are located more fertile recruiting grounds. Georgia, for instance. Well, we are yeah, just them.
1: like some like some colleges will spend more on recruiting. If yeah, it's unfair that they have the deeper pockets to have big yeah, recruiting. They have budgets that care, but the, they, they, the, but they don't limit the how many they can have. in. Yeah, yeah. They, I mean, the the NCAA has, or SEC hasn't stepped in and said, "All right, you can't have as big a staff." No, because there, yeah. that's. They know that they, have, that they have the money to do it. It's up to them to spend their money.
0: I totally agree. Like the SEC, just kind of to build on your point there, you're right. The SEC doesn't say, oh, well, Georgia, it's not fair. Georgia and Florida, it's not fair that you guys are located in such fro recruiting grounds. So we're going to say that each team in the, in the conference can only offer 10 player scholarships from each state. That way, we're going to make it fair. That's, it doesn't work that way. And, and, and I know that's no. not fair to some people. Programs who aren't as fortunate, they don't like that. I'm sorry. That's just the way college ball is. And I don't know how you start to legislate certain things uh, now when it's there's been inequity all throughout the history of college football. And it, it's not fair. It sucks for those teams that might not be able to have full stance. I get that's a disadvantage for you. But other teams operate with other disadvantages, and they've been doing that for 100-plus years now. And I, I, that's just that that's how college sports is structured. And it, it's unfortunate, but it is what it is. But, uh, in terms of me answering the question, um, going back to the original question here with Brad, I know we kind of got off base there, but it's all related. I'm leaning towards there being some level of fans allowed to attend games. Are you there, Kurt? Like, no, I'm not saying full stadiums, but are you, how confident are you that there are going to be at least some fans in stadiums come September?
1: Oh, I'm confident. Um, but like, cause I mean, when you have. Um, skyboxes and things like that, people will get in, but I just don't know if the average fan is the ones that are going to get in the non season ticket holders or even even some, even non season, non-season, I mean, even season ticket holders, if you unless you're donating over a certain threshold, you may not have the ability to pay for them. I,
0: there's gosh, this is such an interesting question to me, and it's an important question because I. I haven't missed a game in a long time and i don't want to st- i don't want to start now um I give it's a different time i understand that but i would like to be able to go to all the games um man i i'll say that there, there's some positive momentum uh, iowa state do you see this staker iowa state's athletic director do you see what he said today uh, not today i, think. I mean I, right he now you know, uh, he yeah he I, 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 was either today or yesterday recently he came. i think he, i saw today but it might have been a couple days ago um, he came out at least at some point in the last couple of days and announced that Iowa State, they are currently planning to limit capacity at Jack Trice Stadium to 50% to meet the state of Iowa's state guidelines. Now, he did leave the door open for those guidelines to change. I'm not going guess that could go either way. They could they could raise capacity, lower it. I don't know. But they're saying right now they're, playing, they're putting a plan in place to have 50% capacity. Greg McGarity uh, himself this morning, I think it was on 92.9 The Game in Atlanta, uh, he was kind of asked about the fans, uh, a, a fan attendance question. and He said that right now this is his quote from that show. Quote, we're planning for a full house. Is that realistic? Time will tell. We have several internal documents ready to activate, but we don't want to go public, especially in May. So what that tells me is like he's preparing for all, all And I respect
1: McGarrity for being more honest because you could say, yeah, we're going to have 50% capacity to abide by the guidelines. The guidelines may change. And, that, and that's why like, I don't I, – look,
0: Iowa, Iowa State's ADF3 is sure operating with a lot more information about their situation than I am. But it's what I kept going back to. Why are we? Why is anyone making a decision in May about what's going to well, happen? Well, just like
1: you them? see the the schools in general, Notre Dame starting two weeks early. South Carolina is going full online after Thanksgiving break. Like I still believe it's too early to make all these school arrangements. Mm.
0: Yeah, I, I mean and, and some decisions do have to be made before others. I get that to a degree. Uh, I, I agree with you about school stuff, but like the the, the question of whether fans are going to be allowed in the stadium that stand that decision is not to be made right now. That that decision has to be made in June or even July. Maybe well, it's
1: in something that's August. The more important decision is just getting football back.
0: Yes, that's got to be the priority. I think we're getting closer to that with a lot of these programs now allowing players to come back on a voluntary basis. Yeah, pac
1: twelve. Um, I saw as of uh, Tuesday they can come back on the June fifteenth. Um, oh, I so, didn't see that.
0: pac twelve said that today.
1: Yeah, they just announced June fifteenth, their players can come back.
0: Huge. Okay, I missed that. Awesome. Uh, and I saw, I did see that. uh, I was, I think it was today. I saw Oklahoma announced they're coming back July first, which is like, I think they like, I think honestly, I'm curious of Oklahoma because they've been that state's been pretty open for a while now. Their their governor Stit there, he's been pretty open about trying to open their economy up. I, on some level, wonder if Lincoln Riley sang out loud that it was ridiculous that some people were – some programs talking about coming back the 1st of June. If that backed them into a corner that they had to wait until July to get – to allow players to come back. I just – and that might be me. That's probably complete speculation, but just curious there. Um, But, yeah, so I think there's momentum. There's positive momentum. I mentioned something. You mentioned something there, Kurt, about getting fans in stadiums. And you're exactly right. The university, the athletic departments want fans in stadiums. But the question becomes, who gets to attend? And the popular idea over the past month was just to let students in. But, Curtis, I, th- I think you mentioned this earlier, and I'm totally with you because I had this in my notes. If you are the athletic director of the University of Georgia, if you're Greg McGarrity, right, are you – and you have to, you have to choose, a, let, let's say uh, let's say it's 30% capacity.
1: I don't know. I'm just throwing a number out there. Are you allowing students to be in that 30% uh, maybe 10%, but no, you need people that give you the money to run, to keep that, the lights on.
0: Yep. I might make it 5%. I mean, honestly, like it, all the concern about
1: getting football back, as we mentioned at the outset of the show, all the concern about getting football back, it, obviously. Well, we and here's to, the thing too, yeah. if people are going to follow guidelines and do things correctly, my money's more on the boosters and stuff than drunk college kids, even though we've all been the, you know, Fact. a college kid in stands, but you know, they're not the most responsible people. Facts. Absolutely. And I, look, I, I
0: being a college student and going to college football games, especially in the SEC, it's, they're inseparable. I mean, they're it is part of the deal. So I I feel for them saying, like, it sucks. As if I was a college kid, I would be like, screw you, man. But look, if the concern about getting football back is really based around the financial implications, and I think that's the biggest issue here. The fact is, students pay the low by far the lowest rate to get in the stadium. There's no donation required. You can you can say it's part of their their uh, tuition or whatever, but like in terms of actually what goes to the athletic department, it's a, a fraction, a fraction of a fraction of a fraction of what season ticket holders pay. Like in my mind, if you want to mitigate the financial losses, one way to do that is to find a way to get a portion of season ticket holders in the stadium, even if that comes at the expense of the students. And I know, again, like that sucks, but someone's going to get short in the stick. And if, if you're if you're the athletic director of a university and you're trying to be as fiscally responsible as you can, which I, I think is a big part of your job. I think that you had to sacrifice the students here in this one season because it, it's about just survival. It's a, it's about survival of not just your football program, but all the other programs. And yes, you're right, Kurt. You said earlier the TV revenue is the is the big factor, and yes, that is the that is the biggest chunk of revenue. But even if even if we get it on TV, which which helps, and I think we can survive that without the football gate. I think you're going to still have some major cuts around One even at the university of Georgia. And, and, and I'm not talking about cutting sports necessarily, but cutting salaries, which can cut into how competitive you are and going out and hiring people uh, cutting, uh, let's say facilities. Like, like I know most of you don't care about Georgia tennis. I do. We just put a, a, we just redid the grandstand. It looks
1: fantastic, but we are in desperate need of an indoor, uh, uh, an indoor tennis facility, a new one. And, and now we're not, not going to get it. And that's to. And the thing is people you know, say, getting, Oh, we don't need that right now. But here's the thing, when you don't, when we don't get it, now you lose it, you miss out on another five years of Gates at the The NCAA NCAA tournament.
0: tournament. Yeah, because I don't know if you guys, I mean, most of you guys, I know you don't follow college tennis, but they bid out the NCAA tournament five years in advance, right? They do five years at a time. Uh, I think I do the same thing like college football, national championship sites. And we were not in this last cycle, which it was shocking because we are the Mecca of college tennis. And it used to always be here. And it's changed a little bit. At least in that cycle, at least one year in that cycle, we would always have it. We lost it because it rained so much last time we had, which I think was, what, three years ago now? Uh, four years ago, maybe. No, three years ago still. Um, and it was uh, it was it was a nightmare because our indoor facility, we only have four courts. We don't have six courts. We need six courts to play all the singles. It was a nightmare logistically. We had to bust some teams to go play at Georgia Tech. It was there, actually we, very
1: embarrassing as a fan, yeah, too, it was, with, it all was all the, with all the other fan yeah. bases, what they had to say, and you can't argue with them.
0: Yeah, and especially when like we're a, we're a blue blood in college tennis. Again, most people don't care, but we are. But like, but I'm just saying things like that get put on hold and it matters. So if you can get fans in the stadium, or at least some, yeah, and that can help maybe get that that facility project back on track to some degree. I'm sorry, students. I, I gotta say that that you're not the priority in that situation. But even okay, let's say even if you say all right it's season ticket holders, okay. Uh, if season ticket holders are now at the front of the line, but curse, then I think the next question becomes, which season ticket holders? Like, is it based solely on your priority points? Do And, that's,
1: I, and that's where I, you know, as much as it sucks, like, because most people, I mean, you know, in our family, we have season tickets, things like that, but I don't think we'd meet the threshold. I mean, you're going to go to the people that give you the most money to be honest, because if they're the ones that are giving the university a lot of money to build these facilities and then they don't get to go to events, they're not going to be willing to sp- uh, give money yeah. thinking, all right, I gave you all this money and you didn't reward me for spending money.
0: Absolutely. Absolutely. So, I mean, yeah, I mean, I, I would not be shocked at all. In fact, I think that's probably the odds on favorite right now to be the way they would do it is based on priority points. But I think there's other, I think you can be um, a little more creative too. Like could you potentially impose a one-year limit on the number of season tickets an individual can purchase, so that all season ticket holders can get at least two tickets? Like I said, like some people have like eight, ten, however many tickets. Can you say, okay, well, each season ticket holder this year can only get a max of four, or something like that? I, and I know that's not a perfect way to do it, but is that maybe a little bit more equitable to
1: all? Season oh, I believe that. That's a lot more equitable, but
0: yeah, I mean, because like I, I know you want to keep the big ticket. Um, donors. And I get that. I told and I'm not a big ticket donor. I donate as much as I can based on the percentage of my income. I'm not a millionaire. I don't have that kind of cash. I donate what I can. Uh, I I would say by based on the percentage of my income, I donate just as much as a lot of those guys do. Um, But it's certainly not near as much as they do. Uh, But I was, but like, Hey, and look, I'm going to come no matter what, but like could you potentially run the risk of alienating certain fans that are season ticket holders? If they don't, if they're not in the group, the exclusive group that gets allowed to come to games this year, so, I think you've got to get creative there. Like, do you potentially divide the home games up into packages? Uh, will those packages be tiered based on priority points? Like, you say, okay, you get a three game package, you get a three game package. Well, what package do you get? Is that based on priority points? Like, do the, the higher donors get to choose first? I would say that's fair. I, I'd be okay with that. Um, and then think about this, too, Kurt. Like, it's so complex. Do they have to redo the seating chart for one season? Think about that. Because, like, I'll be real, my, my season tickets yeah. are on the upper level. And But, like, let's say I get in for a game, but am I do I have to sit in those seats? Because if there's only, like, 50% capacity or 30% capacity or whatever, don't you want all the fans kind of concentrated? Like, kind of like a G-Day scenario, but like, before we had packed houses with Kirby Smart, don't you kind of want them concentrated in one area? That, that way the crowd makes a bigger – I mean, it's not going to be as big of an impact as normal, but still a bigger impact than, they, than we would if we were all spread out all over the place. Like, why do I have to sit in my season tickets at the upper level in those seats? When you still have 60 70% of the lower level free, that makes no sense to me. So, do you re do this? I chart agree with one? you on that. Yeah, I mean, th- there's because, just because so yeah, many- yeah. you'd
1: want to keep the lower bull the lower uh ball as full yeah. as possible for appearances' sakes,
0: exactly. I think that's like you have to, like, like why would you have people spread on the upper level if there's open seats in the lower level? Uh, so, and so and how do you do it? Do you like honestly do you redo the scene chart for one season, or is like is your ticket only going to be good for general admission and it's first come, first serve? Like, I don't know like there's so many questions to answer there I'm ha- I honestly I don't want to, have to be the one to answer these questions because you're gonna like somebody's gonna be pissed off if it's not if it's not full stadiums somebody somewhere is gonna be mad and I don't want to have to make that decision um but it's I'm very curious how this plays out obviously from a selfish perspective I want to be able to go to these games but I I don't know man uh I guess I would say I'm leaning more towards it being momentum there's gonna be fans in the stands I would say 70-30, there'll be some fans in the stadium. I'm about 70% confident we'll have at least some fans. Full stadiums, I'm not confident. At least at the beginning of the season, I would say I'm probably, I'd am probably i give it like a 20% chance at the beginning of the season. And then maybe as things roll on, we'll, and, but it's so fluid right now. The, all the data, it depends on the data and all that stuff. And we've learned so much in two months. I mean, think about how much we're going to learn in the next three months. So a lot to be uh, decided there. But um, yeah, I know we went long on this question, but I think it's a very complex question with a lot of different facets to it. But, Have you ever experienced turbulence on a flight and wondered why? And you can see all the terrain around you. Uh, You've got no issue with visibility or anything? No, everything's peachy. Maybe you've sat on the tarmac for hours wondering why your plane isn't moving. Well, we're outside here. They're saying the ramp is closed. They won't let us park because of the Air Force block. Listen in on the conversations between pilots and air traffic controllers on the Air Traffic Out of Control podcast. 51 declaring an emergency. There's smoke in the cabin. I need to make a landing right now on 3-1 left. We have the most interesting, wild, and funny ATC recordings you will ever hear. Check out Air Traffic Out of Control wherever you listen to your favorite podcasts. But all right, let's go ahead and move on to our next question. I actually really like this question because this is actual college football. We love these kind of questions. Love all questions, but especially the X's and O's kind of stuff. And this is from Mason, so really appreciate this question, Mason. Uh, he asked, we all know how great last year's defense was, but is it possible the 2020 defense could actually be better and maybe even turn out to be the best defense in Georgia history? Ooh, those are big expectations, Kurt. How would you go about answering that?
1: <clears throat> I think it's a very fair uh, assumption just because – um, we have a lot of players returning. And, yes, we're losing people like J.R. Reed and people like that. But I think Lewis Seen and people like that can replace them just as well. And you have people like Nolan Smith, Devontae Wyatt and stuff who were getting really good um, coming back. And that's why I think it's going to be huge um, is all these guys that are coming back with the experience. Richard LeCount was starting to get really good last year. Um, and you've got them all coming back. And I think that's why I uh, honestly think that this has – I mean, I definitely think it will be a better defense, especially with Jermaine Johnson. People like that are getting more and more experience. Um, Z's first year of starting, um, and best ever, uh, I think it's a possibility. I mean, I don't know what would be needed to do it, but I, I think it could be, yes. I went back the last 30 years uh,
0: of Georgia football all the way back to 1990, and I, I stopped there because, I mean, look, you're also starting to compare eras – but the best defense statistically we've had in terms of yards allowed per game was 2006 in the last 30 years, which is 258 yards a game. 2003, we were at 276 yards a game. Last year, we were at 275 yards a game. So it's t- statistically, the second best defense in the last 30 years. But I would say I would – look, I watched 2006 defense very closely. I mean, I, I, I was I'm, – I'm, I'm of that era. Let's just say that. Uh, and I I'm, will firmly say and I will fight someone to the death. That the 2019 Georgia defense was better than the 2006 Georgia defense. Uh, we were good in the 06, but 2019 last year's defense, which is better. Um, I know that we allow about 20, almost 20 yards more a game last year. But Kurt, offenses in college football in 2006 versus offenses in 2019. Is there even a comparison?
1: No, not even at not even close. 2006
0: was before the spread. Revolution. I mean, Richrod really West Virginia was one of about the only schools to really be doing that last uh, that at that time. And I guess maybe you could say Mike Leach is running like the spread, the spread air raid, but it was certainly the exception. Now it is the rule, and that's what you see week in and week out. And then you throw in tempo and all of that, and teams are scoring at a, at a higher rate than they ever have before. They're racking up yardage totals that have never been seen before in college football. So I would still say, despite those stats, and we're talking about a thirteen-year, fourteen-year difference here. 2019 defense, I think to this point, at least in my in my time watching Georgia football, is the best Georgia defense that I have seen. We've had some good defenses. 2002 was good. 2012 was good. 2012 wasn't nearly as good as uh, as 12 was.
1: I thought 12 was uh, underperforming for most of the year.
0: Yeah, we absolutely like. We had some stars in that team. You had Jarvis Jones. I think I was talking to one of our, our longtime listeners, Cliff, uh, who actually has some questions. We'll get to in a little bit. On social media about this uh, last week, and he he made some great points. Exactly right. Like we we had a couple of, like stars in that defense. We had. Joey well, we also had
1: idiots like Ogletree get suspended the first four games. Rambo gets suspended. Yeah, it, uh, so those, those guys hurt. were stars when they played. But they, you're right; they had, they had some suspensions that year. And like
0: outside of those guys, like and John Jenkins was a good player in the on the in the middle of that defense for us. But I don't know if we were elite at many other positions that year. Outside of those couple guys. Uh, but, yeah, it was a really good defense, but certainly not near as good as 2019 or 2002, 2006, 2011, 2003. It wasn't even – I don't want to say one close, but it wasn't that kind of defense. Um, but, yeah, Kirk, like I'm – i look, I don't like to say for sure that it's going to be – I don't want to say for sure it's going to be the best defense we've ever had because I don't like to speak in absolutes. But I told you guys coming in last year that I thought that the 2019 defense was going to be the best defense of the Kirby Smart era, and that turned out to be true. And that doesn't mean I'm always going to be right, but I'm going to say something similar this year. I think that this defense will be the best defense in the Kirby Smart era. And if last year's defense, if I think it was potentially the best defense the past 30 years, then as far as I'm concerned, there's a really good chance that this defense, if it can be better than last year, that, that then I think logically it has a chance to be, therefore, the best defense in Georgia history. And, like, I don't go back – Earlier than '90s, okay, and that's that's before my era. So I'm sure someone's going to say like oh, back in 1976, and that might be true. But again, I would say let's look at college offenses back then, right? I, I, I don't think there's any comparison whatsoever. But if you look at you laid out some of the numbers there, Kurt. Like we return so much on defense. Everyone wants to talk about like what we're losing offensively, and we are. But we return so much on defense. I mean, Bill Conley does this every year. He does the, his returning production. And uh, we, according to Bill Conley's numbers and his formula, we returned 80% of our production from 2019, which is 21st nationally.
1: From a on, team from a defense that finished first.
0: Yeah, from a defense. Yeah, absolutely. And it, I mean, la, and yeah, last year we were first in rush defense, second in yards per play. I think we ended up third toe defense. So for an, a truly, and you elite- still see them
1: hungry. Like if y'all don't follow <clears throat> see what the players tweet, you're taught, I think it was Monty Rice who was like, I've been on defenses that are supposed to be great. But they weren't. And that's because of complacency. So these kids know it.
0: Yeah. Yeah. Absolutely. I mean, think about what we return. I mean, let's take it it level by level on this defense. Okay. On the defensive line, uh, yeah, we lose Tyler Clark. We lose Michael Barnett. Uh, Tyler Clark was a game changer at times, but certainly on a consistent basis with a really good, solid player for us for a long time. It's not I mean, I don't like losing him, um, but it's not. I don't know if that's a a deal breaker. Michael Barnett was a really good,
1: solid role player for us. Really good. He was a, 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 a solid backup. Yeah.
0: Yeah, absolutely. But I think um,
1: people like Devontae Wyatt are going to take big, even bigger steps yeah. forward.
0: Yeah, uh, Jordan Davis, who I think could potentially be a monster this year. Like, I actually, I expect that at this point uh, in year three for him. And I've actually heard some good stuff behind the scenes. On um, we don't really know what's going on, like with what they're doing at home. But from what I've heard from people who might know these things, or have, at least have more of an idea than I would, it seems like he's keeping his weight in check right now, which is always been an issue especially that's a concern when he goes home and he doesn't have the structure around him Julian Rochester who I know has never been, like, been a game changer but still like you're talking about what's he, been, what's he, been, what's he been, about 37 years old this year I think something like he that looks it. yeah I, like, he's gonna be back this year which I think is at the very least gonna be a really good depth piece for us you mentioned Devontae Wyatt like I don't think we missed much of a beat do you think about well, when I pop- see I
1: think some of these guys that were freshmen last year will be ready to go uh low walker yeah, Trevon Walker yeah. will even be more ready. Bill um, yeah. Norton, people like that can give you minutes. Sure, you absolutely.
0: And at the five, if you want to consider guys, uh, the five-tech defensive end on the, on the defensive line, well, okay, I know we, we, we lose David Marshall. who's a good player for us for a long time. good solid He role was
1: very player. inconsistent the last couple of years. And injured,
0: and just injured. Um, really, the last year and a half was injured. But Malik Herring is as good of a five-tick as we've had in the Kirby Smart era. I love John Ledbetter, but we, you and I both said, like, Ledbetter was so good and consistent for us, but Herring had a higher potential. I think he really got closer to that towards the end of last year. Kind of got out of Kirby's doghouse from the preseason, and uh, he's a really, really good player for us. You mentioned a guy like Bill Norton. So I think defensive line, like, I don't see how we take a step back. I think, I, I actually, honestly, I, I expect us to take a step forward. With guys like Jordan Davis continue to grow. Uh, Devontae Wyatt, I think, was probably our best – interior pass rusher last year Rochester coming back so I, I like what we've got there um every single outside linebacker is returning every single one of them is returning
1: from a, a group that was already very deep
0: yeah from a group that again I think was probably the best overall group of outside linebackers as a whole uh that we've had in the Kirby Smart era and they're all back and they're all going to be better but there's I don't see any of them take, like I don't expect any of them to take a step back uh if you look at the inside linebackers we have three out of the four in the rotation last year. We got uh, obviously we've got Monty Rice, you got Nikobe Dean and Quay Walker coming back. We do lose Tate Crowder, who we know would end up being the last pick in the NFL draft, Mr. Irrelevant. But if you want to go with a four-man rotation, well, we saw we have three of the of the four back from last year. I would say, would you say those the guys that are coming back are the three most talented out of the four from last year, Kurt?
1: hundred percent, yes.
0: Yeah, I mean we love Tay Crowder, but like he out of the rotation last year was the, the least talented of of that four, I, in my opinion. I think that's pretty clear in my opinion. But the, So who's going to be fighting for that? Well, guys like Channing Tindall, who let's not forget was, was played some some snaps for us as a freshman. Didn't he use me last year? Kind of lost out, out to Quay Walker to get in that rotation and also to Kobe Dean, but he's going to factor back in there. Ryan Davis coming back from injury. Tresman Marshall. Like we have a lot of talent at inside linebacker. I think we're going to be better than we were last year. I just do when you got guys like Quay Walker – and Nikobe Dina who are going to continue to grow. Monty Rice is going to be a year better.
1: I think Ryan Davis is a dark horse for that position. Absolutely. I, I really like what
0: he brings to the table. And if he can just come back from that ACL tear, I think he could be uh he can be some serious trouble. And he'll for be me. more than a year out. Yeah, he will. He, he, like he was clear, I think, towards the end of last year, just like why would you waste the red shirt and didn't really get a chance to put him in much. So uh I think he, I, I think moving forward, you're right. I, I'm I'm high on Ryan Davis. And the secondary, like Kurt, like is a second? I know we lose Jr. Reed, who was a consensus All-American, really, really, really good player for us. But is the defense going to take? Is the secondary going to take a step back just because we lose Jr. Reed?
1: No, I think. I mean, we saw uh, Lewis Seen put up a pretty dang good game against Baylor.
0: Yeah, and I, as, I mean, for- and
1: as, as good of a tackler as Jr. Reed was, I think Seen may be a better tackler, more physical tackler.
0: Yeah, I think it's one of those scenarios where like I'm not I'm not sitting here, don't get me wrong, I'm not sitting here saying that Lewisine in 2020 is gonna be what J.R. Reed was in 2019. I'm not gonna say that right now. I will say I think Lewisine is more talented overall than J.R. Reed was, which is a pure talent perspective. Doesn't mean he will end up being as good as J.R. Reed was. J.R. Reed was a consensus all-American, which is, I mean, that's incredibly difficult to do. That's a very, very high standard. And I don't know if Lewisine will ever reach that. Uh, but in terms of overall talent, like, I don't think it's a stretch to say Lewis seen might be a, be a little bit more talented overall and maybe a little bit more athletic than junior Uh, we'll see. I know it's easy to say when a guy is walking out the door and Jr. Reed was so good for us, but I think seeing like there's a, there's a chance that's the case. And then you look at the rest of the secondary. I mean, you got Richard McCount coming back literally, literally every player at corner and star, every single one of them. And Oh, by the way, you get Tyson Campbell coming back healthy. Uh, and I think he was on track to be a uh, to take a big step in his second year last year. I think, I think it's the same as the case this year now he's back from injury. And, like, think about some of these second-year players. Trayvon Walker, Tyreek Stevenson, N'Kobe Dean, Lewis Cena. all these guys I expected to really take big steps in year two. And we haven't even mentioned any potential impact freshmen, guys like Jalen Carter and Keely Ringo, who I think might end up being the best player overall in that 2020 class. I think he might end up, when it's all said and done, I think he – might end up being a top 10 draft pick. I, I I think there's a chance that he's that good. And Jalen Carter is going to be a monster. And so we're not even talking about with those guys. Like, where are they even going to fit in? So uh, I think there's a chance, man. And, oh, yeah, by the way, could remind me. How many years had Dan Lenny been the defense coordinator last year? Half a year. Yeah, so uh, th- he was a first-year coordinator. So, huh, he's going to be back in year two. And you still got Kirby Smart, who is Mr. Defensive Guru, right?
1: So, who's going to probably focus more on defense than of offense now that Monk taken over?
0: Great point. Yeah. So, to recap, I think we're going to be better on the defensive line. I think we're going to be better at inside linebacker. I think we're going to be better at outside linebacker. I think we're going to be better at the secondary. And we have a second year defense coordinator, and there's not a, a rookie in that job now. We've got Kirby Smart helping them out still. I, I think there's a strong, strong chance. In fact, I would say, if I have to say, I expect this defense to be better than what it was last year. And I know that's. That's going to be difficult because it's a heck of a standard last year. But I I think this defense is going to be better. I, I do. I do. I'll go on that limb and say it right now. All right, let's move on to the next one here. So this is from uh, the man of many names. Uh, his current name is Wise Up Arthur Blank on social media. So always appreciate it, my friend. Uh, he asked, do you think the NCAA does anything to help the teams that didn't have spring practice? Maybe push the season back and limit who can have summer practice and who can't. How does this negatively uh, affect us with a new quarterback and new offensive system, especially early on against Alabama? So, Kurt, do you think? I guess first off, that the NCAA doesn't do anything to, uh, I guess, level the playing field to some degree when it comes to spring practice. So some teams um, dig it, honestly,
1: practice, no, because I believe the NCAA is inept.
0: <laughs> yeah, just uh, just a little bit, just a little I'm bit. I'm just gonna be um,
1: honest; I don't think they're gonna do anything to help. Um... Because the, they can barely get it going right now. I mean, right now, the only reason schools are coming back to play is because the conferences themselves are doing it, not because of anything the NCAA is doing to help. Because um, the
0: conferences will completely break away from the NCAA if they come. At the, the NCAA came out and said, "Well, we're not going to allow college football." The Power Five conferences would break away
1: from them. Exactly. So, so I think come? the NCAA is not going to do anything. Um, it's going to hurt us definitely to start the season. Um, especially going to Alabama. Uh, it's going to be a hard place to play. But right now, there's just, I mean, it's just a lot of unknowns. I mean, it's hard to say, but I think there is going to be a learning curve. Uh, but hopefully our players are taking advantage of the Zoom sessions and just trying to stay, you know, in the playbook and do things like that. And you see a lot of players out with these quarterback coaches and training and doing things like that. So you can just hope that they're doing it to where the transition is not as rough as it may be.
0: Yeah. And, and I don't know if you've heard anything to this effect, but what, I, what I've heard And again, I don't know if this is going to happen. There's a lot of things that people are hearing these days and everything's so fluid with the data changing by the minute, it seems like by the day. But what I've heard, at least uh, there's been some conversation to this effect, is that the NCAA, like the reason they're allowing the voluntary workouts to come back on campus now is they're kind of ramping up to a six week kind of like training camp, uh, almost NFL style, where like we're going to have our traditional fall camp that starts last week of July, early August, like a four week fall camp. But we're also going to have like a two week, almost like mini camp, like uh, OTAs, I guess, uh, leading up to fall camp, which is not going to be spring practice, but I guess it's better than nothing. And it's some alternative to that that will allow us to at least get that time back, some of that time back that we missed from the spring. Uh, and I know that's not
1: ideal, but I think that's just might- since most summer school is online right now, the kids aren't going to class. Right, exactly,
0: and I, I think that's a very doable thing, honestly. Like I, and I think the fact that we're going back June eighth, at least players are on a voluntary basis allowed to come back June eighth, which I think
1: we know be. what voluntary means. Yeah,
0: yeah we, yeah, exactly. Um, but I, I do think that that is going to pave the way to kind of set up that six week training camp type scenario I, instead of a four week, just a four week fall camp. I think we had the additional two weeks to the front of that, which might not be all full pads, or might not be pads at all, but at least an on-field time where you can work with your players, do some reps,
1: and and just try to get some of that time back. And, and they're going to try thinking- to allow them to ha- have as much time with these players without this players ha- having that slave mentality almost, like where sure. they're just doing nothing but that. But they're going right. to try to give them as much as they can take without them saying, you know, like the coaches are taking advantage of them.
0: Yeah, I think that's a great point. You're right. I agree with you on that. Um, and how does this negatively – and we've kind of talked about this a little bit um, on, on the show over the past couple of months. But how does it affect us with a new quarterback, new offensive system? Uh, yeah, I mean it, uh, it's certainly something to consider. It's not great. The only thing
1: I'm happy about is while people know Monken, um, the guy can change it so much that it still gives teams trouble game planning for us. Is my only hope that they're going to be unsure of what to do with uh, with us.
0: Yeah, that's, that, that's also a possibility, and that's a good point. It's a good way to look at that. I, I have uh, – I don't know. There's, it, It's not great. I, obviously, ideally, in an ideal world, we would have had spring practice. We would have had a chance to install part of our offense, a good portion of our offense, at least some of the basic stuff. In spring practice, I And mean, monk and the offensive staff would have got to look at the players at their disposal and so they could start spending the summer designing things and actually formulating an offense based on what they saw with the talent during the spring, which is what spring is for. Um, but we didn't get that at all. So, yeah, that's not ideal, and it's going to hurt to a degree, but the thing is, like, th- you can't view it as us in isolation. We're not the only team that's going to have a situation like that. It doesn't mean it's not going to hurt us. It is, but I- it's going to hurt a lot of teams in college football, and a lot of teams that we have to play. So, on to some degree, I think it might hurt teams equally. Um, but but there are you know, different – like a team like Florida, for example, who has a returning quarterback and a returning play caller, like they're not hurt as much by not having spring practice, at least from an offensive standpoint, whereas I think we certainly will feel more of that. Hopefully by the time we get to the Florida game, things will be uh, rolling a little bit offensively. But you're right. Uh, why is that Arthur Blank? That uh, we play Alabama in week three, and that's going to be difficult. Uh, that's going to be a tough trip, right? I, I will say, like, Al- like, I think we're – and more of a disadvantage offensively not having spring practice in Alabama is because they do have an offensive coordinator returning but I think their most talented quarterback on campus this year will be the true freshman Bryce Young and if, if he would have been there for spring and allowed to go through spring drills yeah I'm
1: very thankful he didn't get spring ball because yeah. um say that Mac is struggling they may try 2 a tight situation yep. saying you know what do we have to lose in this situation um yep. and he's not going to be ready even close right. to it yeah especially saw- being from California he's
0: yeah, his first major action against Georgia's defense, I don't know if, it, if you're setting that guy up for success. So, uh, and, and I think Matt Jones is a solid, serviceable quarterback. I'm not saying he they can't beat us with Matt Jones. I'm not saying they can't. I just think Bryce Young is going to be a far more talented player in the long term. And if he was here for the spring, he would have been much closer to being ready to contribute early on, potentially as early as week three against us. And uh, honestly, I think that I, – I, I don't know. I, mean, I know he's a true freshman, but like, True freshman would come in and made impacts right away recently, especially in the modern offenses where it's not as, where it's more simplified for quarterbacks. I'd rather face Matt Jones, wouldn't you, than Bryce Young, if Bryce Young was up to speed at, with a full spring?
1: Oh, 100%. Yeah, so, like,
0: I mean, and that's some small – lining. Bryce silver Young could thing. at least
1: make something happen with his legs where Max not as right. much of a
0: – Yeah, yeah, so maybe some small silver lining there. So, yeah, I do think it will impact us. I think it will impact a lot of teams. Uh, the Alabama game will be interesting. Uh but I think I think we'll be okay. I don't know. The Alabama, the Alabama game in general is just going to be a tough game. But I I do like the fact that I think it kind of sets up for them to be playing Mac Jones in that game as opposed to potentially having Bryce Young be a factor in that game. We'll see. We'll see. There's a lot left to see how that plays out. And we'll see how the NCAA does try to compensate. Because maybe I, what I've heard is wrong. We'll see how it ends up playing out. Um, all right. Moving on here, we've got a question from our man Cliff. As always, Cliff, we appreciate it, my friend. Uh, Cliff has an X's and O's question for us, which I always love. Uh, he asks, with the secondary unit looking as elite and deep as ever, will we see a, an adjustment in scheme or a slight change, such as a three-three-five or more or more nickel and dime defenses? Uh, will the defensive line make the leap to allow for the back end and pass rushing specialists to take more chances? Kurt, you see any kind of changes schematically there?
1: Um, I mean, probably he may feel more comfortable allowing guys to play on islands and things like that, but I mean – I don't know how much they're going to change because we had a pretty experienced secondary last year.
0: We did. Uh, We did. Absolutely. And like, here's what I would say. And and let me preface this by saying, I actually, we've been planning on doing an entire show over the next couple of weeks on the pass rush and kind of what we do schematically defensively. Because I know one of the questions that we always get, and and I've always said, I, Years ago, I had questions about this, too, and I still get frustrated with it at times. I understand why it's the case now, but I still get frustrated with it at times. Why don't we have a more dominant pass rushing team, especially when we've had some really good pass rushers in the past years? We've had guys like Lorenzo Carter and DeAndre Walker, who's a really capable pass rusher, and Aziz and Nolan and Jermaine Johnson last year. But we've never been a dominant pass rushing team. Even go back to Leonard Floyd. He never had more than six and a half sacks in in a season. Um, And I think it's more – I don't think the pass rush issues have been about personnel. I, it hasn't been, in my opinion. It's more about scheme. And, again, we're going to do a, a, an entire show on that over the next couple of weeks. So we're look, looking forward to that. We're kind of laying that out right now. Um, we'll, so we'll, we'll definitely go more in detail with this question and, and our answer to this question in a couple of weeks. But I will say to answer the, some of the question now, I think, honestly, with the past couple of years, that our nickel defense with five defensive backs matched with a mint front has essentially – that's become our base defense, has it not, Kurt,
1: more or less? Uh, it feels like it. I mean – for the most part,
0: like if you want to call the the, the old school three, like base three four, you have three down linemen, you have a, a zero tech, a three tech, and a five tech with their hand down on the ground. You have two outside linebackers standing up and two inside linebackers, which is what we used to consider the base defense. I don't think that's base anymore. That's become more of a specialty defense because what you see more often than traditional pro style attacks where you would t- traditionally use that base three four defense you see spread attacks offensively far more consistently. So because of that, with the change offensively, the evolution offensively, defenses have had to evolve over the years. And I think not just us, but most teams around the country are using some form of nickel defense as almost like their base. And some defenses get a lot more creative with it than others, like Iowa State. Actually, I've been studying Iowa State's defense. I think I've been fascinated by Iowa State's defense for a couple years now since Matt Campbell got there. And I've kind of been doing a deep dive into them uh, since I've had some time on my hands this summer. And they really kind of run a three, three, five, like dime is their base defense, essentially. It's really fascinating what they do with like their safeties, having uh, responsibility for run fits. And it makes it difficult to, to run zone schemes from an offensive perspective, because you can't really account for the safeties in the run game and basically serving as linebackers when, when they run the football with them playing versions of different versions of quarters with sky quarters and cloud and all that kind of stuff. It gets, it gets really funky out there. Um, but yeah, I think that's basically become our base uh, with with tight fronts, what we call our mint front, which we'll get into more and uh, when we do that show in a couple of weeks. But it's been incre- it's increasingly rare that we go with three true defensive linemen nowadays. And really, we only most of the time operate with one true pass rush, like one outside linebacker on the field at a given time. Unless it's a, a third down situation, we bring in our our, our dime defense. but Yeah, I, I think we're going to continue to work more and more of that into the equation to answer your question, Cliff. I think we've been doing that more and more the past couple of years, and I think that we're only going to increase our usage of those types of defenses as teams continue to try to spread us out and do all those things with uh, spread, tempo, attack. So, yeah, I think you're, you're right on, on the money there, Cliff. Um, all right, and Cliff, us stick with Cliff for a minute. Cliff had, a, had another question here. Uh, he has asked, is there a quarterback either college or in the pros who Jamie Newman reminds you of or is or that is a good comparison? Are there aspects of his game that you like even more than Justin Fields or at least do you think the job off between the two isn't that significant? That's an interesting question, Kurt. Like first, the, I, do you have a, a comparison off the top of your head for Jamie Newman?
1: Uh, maybe a mixture of Cam Newton and Jameis Winston, where Jameis was mobile, but he was a big-bodied guy that threw yeah. a decent deep ball, which is what Jamie Newman really is about.
0: Yeah, he, uh, he's not as big as Cam Newton. But he's a big physical dude in that vein, I and mean, he's not as big as Cam Newton. We know that. Yeah, I could
1: almost. Jameis seems more of like a good comparison to me.
0: Yeah, I, I, I'm more athletic. I think Jameis. I mean, Jameis can could move around in the pocket, but I, I would say that Jamie Newman's more athletic. He he was, is actually used on design running plays. Yeah, I um, agree. Yeah. um yeah, not quite as big as Cam. Like, Cam was a tight end when he came to college. Let's not forget that. But uh, in terms of what, what do you think about the comparison with Justin Fields? Like, is there a big gap between Cam or not Cam? I'm sorry. Uh, between Justin Fields and Jamie Newman?
1: Arm wise, I don't think so. Um, I think they both have a very strong arm, uh, throw the deep ball pretty well. Um, I think Justin's probably quicker, yeah. um, but they're both big body guys that are going to run strong and powerful. But I mean, I think speed is probably the only difference.
0: Yes, I, th- I I agree. I think Fields is probably a little more explosive as a runner, a little bit more athletic in that regard. Uh, but certainly Newman is a more than capable runner. Uh, I do think Newman's slightly bigger and more put together. Uh, he's about an inch taller. He's about 10, 15 pounds heavier than – about 10 pounds heavier than Fields. So, not again, not a significant gap there. But I think Newman's bigger uh, and can run more of the quarterback power game than maybe Fields would be capable. Well, oh, Fields can certainly do that too. Um, they both have really strong arms. I think Newman's, I, I don't know, I, I've never seen both of them throw side by side. Uh, I've obviously seen Fields throw more than I've seen Newman. I've watched, actually, I've spent a lot of time watching Jamie Newman over the past couple of months, going back and watching Wake Forest stuff on the ACC network. And uh, Newman's got a powerful arm, man, He's got the great deep ball accuracy. So I don't know, like, I don't, it, it maybe Fields is the better overall athlete when it's all said and done, but I certainly don't think the gap is, is significant in any way, shape, or form. I think it's very small, if there's any. So, um, I'm very very excited about getting Jamie Newman uh, to be our quarterback this year. And It's one of the reasons I really 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 want us to have a season because I think he might be one of the the missing pieces to the puzzle for us, and can certainly be a guy that is capable of leading us to a national title. I'm not going to sit here and say it's going to happen, but I think he's capable. I would like to have, for him to have spring practice, but he's got the he's got the tools. He's got the tools to be able to do that. Uh, all right, next question here. We got a question from Jacob. I uh, actually had a couple questions that were in a, from a similar vein here, but. Um, Jacob, we haven't had a question from him today, so we're going to go with his question here on this front. He asked, there has been a lot of talk about how Todd Monkin is going to change our offense, but what exactly do you expect to change? How much will Jamie Newman factor into those changes? And Kurt, you and I have touched on this from time to time over the offseason, but we're always happy to discuss this again because I think it's an important question. So how would you answer
1: that? Um, the big thing that I think Monkins could be better at is ma- matchups. Um, Winning the individual matchup Um drawing plays to get players open that's the big one of the biggest differences you see when you have an NFL coordinator like this come in is they just know how to get guys open because a lot of college coaches uh theirs is all about scheme um you know where the players fit into their scheme but NFL coaches coach to what they have player wise their personnel when it really gets down to it um even Schottenheimer you know as bad as he was I thought he did a decent job of you know scheme scheming people open uh with what he had um we just didn't really have a good team then yeah, we were, um yeah. and what then else? newman i think it helps because especially with jake there was not a big threat of him running um you can really get people with the read option and at the same time there's not i don't think teams are going to be allowed to um sit there with two deep safeties
0: yes great point yes i uh, look and we talked about this a couple of times uh, Generically speaking, I think one of the things that he's been reading the table that we haven't seen in a long time here, maybe ever, in Georgia, maybe since the Derek Zier days at the University of Georgia, is that this guy runs offenses that pass to win. Okay, They pass the football to win games. Doesn't mean he eschews the run game. Doesn't mean we won't run the football. We will. We know what kind of offensive line we have. We know what kind of running backs we have. We know we're running back. you. We know all that. He knows that. But he knows how to pass to win. He's led offenses that have passed to win. That's what's gotten him this job. It's leading offenses that do that, whether it's at Oklahoma State, whether it's at Southern Miss, whether it was at Tampa Bay. That's the kind of offense this guy has run. And I don't expect him to come in here and just change his stripes because Kirby Smart traditionally has had offenses that run the football. I think, honestly, he was brought in to change the game. Yeah, He
1: wasn't going to come in to run someone else's system, let's be honest.
0: And I think Kirby targeted him because of Todd Munkin's background. I think Kirby had a wake-up call this past season and realized, maybe before halfway through the year, I think it was it was it was the South Carolina game really, where I think he had his come to Jesus moment, and uh, as he should have, and was like, "Yep, yeah, we got to change things. This ain't working." When they can sit there and and just man up on our guys, play press man coverage on the outside, and completely stifle us uh, offensively. And uh, I think he made his mind up there. And Todd Munkin is a guy that can come in and certainly change that narrative and change what we do offensively. So I think we're going to pass to win. We still run the football, but there'll be a lot more uh, vertical passing game, uh, more of the vertical passing and pushing the ball downfield, especially with a guy with an arm like Jamie Newman and the deep ball accuracy that he has in his background. You mentioned scheming guys open. I think that's a big part of what he does. And he also features his best players. Justin Blackman, go back to his days at uh, Oklahoma state in 2011 uh, had I think he won the Blit Actually, I don't think I know he won the Blitnikoff Trophy for the best wide receiver in the in the nation that year. Went for over 1,500 yards receiving, set a Oklahoma State career or a single season record for receptions that year. I think he had 122 catches that year, like something absurd. He knows how to feature his best players, which I don't think we've done consistently. Uh, we featured our running backs. But In terms of guys on the outside, that's been one of my criticisms. You guys have been listening for a long time. You know one of the criticisms I had of even Jim Chaney, who I thought did actually a pretty solid job. I wasn't as much of a Chaney hater as a lot of people were, but my one big criticism was we did not maximize the talent that we had. We did not scheme to take advantage of the skill set that our guys had on a consistent basis. And I think that is what Todd Munkin excels at. It might have been also been another reason why Kirby targeted a guy like him. So uh, all those things, I think you're going to see with Jamie Newman, how he's factoring those changes. I think his, his ability to throw the ball down the field will certainly uh, open up areas of the field that we have not used before. The quarterback run game will certainly be a factor. We'll, we'll see exactly what that looks like because he hasn't he hadn't run that kind of offense in a little while. But he has had quarterbacks that can do that. And uh, I think Jamie Newman will just be, be another weapon in his arsenal. I think that will open up the ground game for guys like Zamir White and James Cook and Kendall Milton, all of those guys that have a chance to, to get some carries in this in our offense. Because last year, like, we would try to run some bash concepts, We'd try to run some zone read stuff at times with Jake Fromm. And no one – go back and watch the tape, guys. No one is even remotely – considering Jake Fromm a threat. And so what do they do? They just crack the, the whole person behind, like zone read and, and the bash concepts, all that kind of stuff. They're, they're option concepts where you can take a defender out of the play without having to actually dedicate a blocker to them. But when that defender who you're trying to take out of the play doesn't remotely have to account for the quarterback, he's just going to crash time and time again. Think about how many times you saw Curtis the backside demons have been making a tackle in our run game, behind line of scrimmage or, or right that's almost what. That's almost
1: exclusively what would kill us in short down situations.
0: Because because they outnumber us in the box, and we try to run a little zone read type look, and they just we were thinking, okay, well, at least we'll have to consider that we could pull it. But why would they consider? Because first off, we never pulled it, and because sometimes I wonder, like when we ran the zone read looks, were they did Jay even have the option to pull it? I, I question that honestly, because there are some obvious times we should have pulled it, and he just didn't. Maybe they're bad reads, or I think more likely, he was told like it's it's just not even a read; it's, just, it's designed to look like a read and Make them like hesitate, but they're not buying because so we never pulled it. And even if we did pull it, what's Jay Fromm going to do? Well, with Jamie Newman back there, all of a sudden, oh no, they have to. They have to factor in that run game, and that's going to open up things so much more for our offense in general. So I, I'm, I'm highly excited about that. I think we're going to see uh, some – we ran RPOs last year, but I expect to see uh, a wider variety of RPOs, maybe some second and third level RPOs, uh, some more pre-snap stuff. So, yeah, I think all those things uh, I expect to see. Um, I wish we had – would had GA to work with because I could give you a little bit more of an accurate answer here. But those are things based on his background that I expect to see Todd Munga implement this season. Um, all right. <laughs> Got another question here also from Cliff. Another one from Cliff. Cliff, uh, he brought the goods, man. He asked – and it's kind of a related question – Will Georgia have its first thousand-yard receiver since Terrence Edwards, which would be the only the second thousand-yard receiver in Georgia football history? Is it happening this year, Kurt? Is George Pickens doing it?
1: I don't think so. You don't think so? I mean, it's just hard. I mean, this is the offense that it would happen in. Yes,
0: I'm. I'm, and maybe I'm crazy because you're right. It's only happened once in like literally Georgia history. But I'm gonna say yes, uh, and I think I think the fact that he's gonna be the clear number one target this year. So I think he's going to get a lot of opportunities, a lot of targets. Uh, I guess you could look at the flip side and say, well, yeah, he'll be the clear number one, but there's not a clear number two to take the pressure off of him, which could factor in as well. So that could, that could be a factor working against him. But I, I, going back to Todd Mungin's history with featuring his playmakers, guys like Justin Blackman. Like, and that's just what this guy's done in his background. So when you have a guy like George Pickens, I think he's going to find a way to feature him. You mentioned scheming guys open. I mean, George had 727 yards receiving last year as a true freshman in our abysmal Joke of an offense last year, so I mean, can he not get two hundred and was it two hundred and seventy three more this year?
1: I think he can. He could, but you got to remember, a lot of that was offset by the Baylor game.
0: True, true. But I mean, could he have more of those types of games this year? Maybe. Yeah. I don't know. Maybe I don't know. I don't know. It, 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 like, it, I'm certainly open to the idea that he could go under. Like it's, I think that's you're well, probably as long right.
1: As kid knows as long as he learns not to fight with people because he lost about one hundred and fifty yards yeah. doing that.
0: Yep. Yep. Absolutely. You missed basically the equivalent of a full game there, and there were games last year where he didn't like didn't catch balls. It wasn't a factor. It was just a, like Auburn. had one catch in that game. Uh, Barry, I don't think he had any catches in that game. So there were a couple games where he just wasn't really a factor, and he still was able to put seven hundred twenty seven yards up. So I'm gonna go on a limb. And I'm I'm not gonna say much over a thousand, but yeah, I, I'm gonna go with Pickens over a thousand yards this year. I think we're gonna do it. Uh, all right, couple more here, real quick. We got a question from Trey. Uh, he asks who leads the team in takeaways in 2020 are, and why? Who, who are you going with, Kurt?
1: Um, Richard, because I think he just has the best ball skills of any of the DBs.
0: Yeah, great ball. Uh, he has great ball skills. I also like, uh, in terms of ball skills, I think Eric Stokes has really good ball skills and good awareness out there. He knows when he gets his head around. But I think there might be some sort of rotation at cornerback this year. I really think there might be. We have so much talent there.
1: Yeah, I mean, because right now I don't think DJ Daniel or Tyson can hold each other off. Fully. They're
0: both going to play. I mean, I think they yeah. both have earned the right. And
1: I think Eric Stokes was
0: good last year. He wasn't as good as he was two years ago last year. And some of that was He's got to get more physical. That's where he yeah. was. Yeah. That
1: was his problem. And Keely Ringo, like, man, like, I, I know mean, the dude's working to... out with Richard Sherman, practicing, covering DJ Metcalf, who's a a, a man child. So, I mean, that yeah. guy's going to be ready to play.
0: And, like, I, I know that oh, we're stacked at cornerback, and, like, they're, where do you find room for him? I think he might be. So good as you have to find a place for him to play, at least a a, a rotation of some degree. I think he's gonna be that good. I got really, I'm really extraordinarily high on him. So I think there's gonna be a a rotation there. So maybe those guys don't get as many opportunities. I I mean, Richard's not rotating with anybody, like Richard's gonna be back there the entire year, unless God forbid something terrible happens. So I think he's had more opportunities. He does have great ball skills, he's got more experience, all those things. He's been around the block, he's seen it all now. So I think Richard's probably the answer there for me as well. And finally, wrap it up with one quick question here from Philip. Just a fun question to end things today. Uh, Philip says, I loved your talk about Georgia uniforms last week, and I agree with you about going back to the block numbers. Thank you, Philip. We need all the support we can get on that one. Um, he says, I have a weird question. Other than Georgia's uniforms, which I think are the best in America, which SEC team do you think has the next best threads? Ooh, who are you going with, Kurt? I know a couple of the top of my head that I'm not going with. I'm definitely not going. with.
1: I'm going to go with Ole Miss.
0: That's 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 where I was going to go. why? Okay, I love their game.
1: powder. I love the powder blue oh, too yes. with the red jersey.
0: Yes, red jersey, powder blue
1: helmet, right? That's the cl- I like a clean, that's- and it's it's not too much with the white pants. Like it's very clean.
0: Like their uniforms are. Like I like classic uniforms, but I don't like boring classic. Like, Alabama is just too boring for me. I know some people. Yeah, love I Alabama. mean,
1: and they like they have the and it's LSU just wears the white or you know the way uniform mainly, but uh, Ole Miss has the navy uh, jersey or the red jersey with the yep. navy helmet or the powder blue helmet, the white pants. Like it's very simple, but it's still like good. I, that's who I go with.
0: Yeah, yeah, they are. Yeah, they're 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 old school classic, but also. Uh, modernized to a degree, and it's just, they're they're beautiful. And like, and they have the two little stripes on the shoulder, which is not too distracting for me. Um, I like that. I, I just like the red jerseys with the gray. I love gray pants. I think it's a good unique. Uh, it's a different look. I, I love the fact that we wear. I mean, well, they're supposed to be silver britches, but let's be real, they're gray. Um, but the red, the red tops, gray pants, the powder blue helmet. It's gorgeous, man. Like that's a, that's a really sharp look. It's a really good look. Not too much going on. It's a good look. I'm usually not a fan of like three different colors uh, w- between your pants, jersey, and, and helmet. But with the powder blue, I'll make an exception there. Um, yeah, A&M, terrible. I they terrible. The ridiculous two horizontal stripes make no sense to me, awful. Vanderbilt, I have no idea what Vanderbilt is trying to do ever. They seem to change uniforms every single year. Florida, no way. Tennessee, disgusting, ugh, awful. Uh, Kentucky is fine. Uh, I, like, I, I kind of like the chrome stuff Kentucky does sometimes with their helmet to a degree. It comes a little too much at times. Uh, Auburn just no, I am like Under Armour. Uh, Bama's, eh. uh, they're Bama's nice and classic. I just it's still Mississippi
1: boring. State's garbage. The state's garbage. Arkansas, uh, I don't, I hate Arkansas. Arkansas
0: I, I actually like they've gone a little too much into like the hog, like the tusk. Um, but yeah, that's uh, the
1: thing. I, I mean, I don't know. I just think all miss is I the think cleanest. All, like,
0: Arkansas's throwback, like the one, like they, they wore a throwback last year. like the one that Darren McFadden would wear, that was like, an awesome uniform. LSU would be cool if
1: they'd wear the purple.
0: Yeah, if they were That's why like, some people love the LSU, and, and LSU's fine. I I just like don't like the fact that you played like ninety percent of your games in one uniform. I don't, I, don't I don't know.
1: My my favorite non is always probably FSU.
0: Well, outside okay, outside the ACC, all of college football, non
1: Georgia, just Southeast. That's probably my favorite.
0: I know color scheme wise, it's I, such I, a I
1: classic, just such yeah, a those, classic.
0: Are, those are those are those are those are awesome. Favorite uniform outside. of – I have to think hard about that. I, color scheme. I would go if we had any other. I go with any other color scheme other than George's, I would go with Oregon's color scheme. I like the bright colors. I know that's crazy. People hate.
1: That. I, know, I still love the burnt orange. Oh, I love with black. You love what? Burnt orange. Burnt orange. Texas. Burnt orange. Yeah, I'm
0: just so. But against they're so simple. Really they're
1: just do really orange.
0: Um, you. I say I don't like USC. Like USC's got a classic uniform, I don't like their color scheme. I don't like the. I don't like the yellow that's supposed to be gold, but it's really yellow. I don't like that uh all the college football I'll have to get back to you on that one. the next show I'll have to think about that one for a minute Ole Miss definitely outside of ours in the SEC all college football Florida State's a good choice let me think on that let me think on that one We'll come back with them. So anyway, just a fun question to end things with today. We will be back later on in the week with our recruiting mailbag. So a recruiting-specific mailbag. We actually got a lot of recruiting questions this time around, so we're going to do an entire mailbag just focused on recruiting. It's that time of year. So we will be back with that, and I will have my answer for you on that uniform and comfortable outside of Georgia, obviously, on that episode. But thanks for listening, guys. We really do appreciate it. Uh, For Curtis, I'm Tyler, and as always, go Dawgs.